Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. I'm Steve. I'm Jenna. And Jenna plays piano and sings the songs. I dance and tell the jokes. So we're really excited to be your entertainment this morning. Um, We're elders here, and yeah, we're hopefully going to wrap up this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And the reason we're doing it together is either the whim of Ryan Adams or the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we'll find out in about 40 minutes which one. Same thing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Bold statement. You're at the right church, folks. Bold statement. Um, False prophet. if this is your first... (laughs) Wow. If this is your first time here, oh, the other thing, like when other people do this together, they sit in comfy chairs and like have a conversation. We just knew very early on there's too much chaotic energy uh, in both of us to sit still. Uh, so we're just going to wander around and one of us will serve as the other person's hype man uh, and vice versa. So um, yeah, if this is your first Sunday or like you missed the whole series up to this point, uh, sorry, we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, so feel free to go back and listen to some of that stuff. But essentially what's been happening is Jesus has been teaching, um, and he's been both meeting and confounding the expectations of his hearers. Um, he's meeting their expectations in that he's delivering thoughts on God and thoughts on what it looks like to live a life Um, that matches up with obedience to God, Um, that's fine. That's what a rabbi would do. But the way he's going about it is is very strange and very unique to Jesus. Um, And so his hearers probably are a little bit confounded. They, They hear things that sound familiar, but they have a new twist on them. Or the thing that they thought was the most important aspect of a teaching is actually uh, subjugated to some other thing that Jesus has said is the most important. And so what he's been expounding upon is a, is a lived ethic, um, an expressed theology. So he's taking it from like this list of things that I believe um, or this list of things that I need to do to here is what the life of someone who's following God through the lens of obedience to me looks like. And he, he touches on pretty much everything. Again, Sermon on the Mount, pretty famous. Go read it. Listen to the previous messages. Um, but this last section, he's transitioning from focusing on sort of the how and the, the what to do aspect into the why and the what happens aspect. Um, he started with this series of concrete images that was actually kicked off in last week's passage, although we didn't talk about it a ton with the wide and the narrow gate. And then he goes on to give the image of a tree with good and bad fruit, um, a disciple who is either welcomed into the kingdom or told to leave Jesus' presence and houses that are built on either foundations of stone or foundations of sand. And so in wrapping up, he's, he's sort of giving us the big picture and explaining why all this matters and what the outcomes of either listening to him or not listening to him are. And that first image, the first kind of concrete uh, comparison is the tree and the fruit. And we're going to dive right in. Yeah, so let's look at some definitions and clarifications in the passage. So Jesus um, uses the term for bad here to describe the bad fruit. He's using a Greek word um, off the word saffron, saffron, which means rotting or worthless, which I think is important here. 
And our main characters are the prophets, you're either true or false, uh, the listener, and of course, our good old fruit. Um, prophets are people who are saying, this is a message that I got from God, and I'm relaying it to you. Um, it's been relayed to me from God, I'm relaying it to you. So I've heard a lot of wrong teachings of this passage, and it took me a long time to sift through because it's a hard one. Um, so I want to address those in order to help us figure out what he actually is saying. So he's not talking about like who is saved and who is not saved. And he's not talking about if you're a Christian, you only produce good fruit. And if you're not a Christian, you only produce bad fruit. Not talking about that here. I've often heard this scripture interpreted to mean this. If an action that you do produces good, then it must be good and from the Lord. Then you are good. And they take it further. If an action that you do produces something bad or not good, then it's not of the Lord. Or if what I'm doing makes me feel good, then it's right and good. This is not what the passage is talking about. And here's why. I used to watch the show Outlander. Um, I really liked it. Um, but the Lord told me to stop watching it. Why? Because it wasn't good for my soul to watch the incredibly hot actor in it um, constantly take off his shirt. Um, and so, uh, you know, the... the <laughs> The sex scenes were really vivid, and there was a lot of them, and literally, he's always shirtless. Um, and I was finding myself thinking about the show when I wasn't watching it, or trying to carve out time, which I don't have a lot of, to, to get another episode in. And, um, and this is not an indictment on anyone who watches the show. What triggers me to sin, not what triggers everyone else. So enjoy it. Say hi to Jamie for me. Yeah. Um, and I'll never see him again. All right, so what I recognized is that these were not great things to be consumed with. Why? Jesus has a lot to say about me and honoring my husband. He also has a lot to say about the way that I use my mind, right, uh, and, and what I do to protect it against lust and adultery, even if I don't have a spouse. And he has a lot to say about obeying himself. If you need a reminder, check out Matthew 5, 27. I'd like to keep my right eye. Thank you very much. Um, so when my friends have these fun watch parties and they talk about it and they got all this, you know, the good news seasons and things like that, I feel sad. I feel a little left out. And I know this is a, kind of a silly example, but I have to miss out on these parties and conversations and I feel isolated a little bit lonely and sad. I followed a teaching of Jesus and the outcome was that I was lonely and sad. So if a bad feeling equals bad fruit, then Jesus' teaching produced something bad in me. And we know if you're a Christian, then that cannot be true. So we need to be careful not to interpret this passage as saying the outcome of something is emotionally or even physically harmful, then it must be bad. Because I don't know if you've experienced it yet, but following Jesus' ethic is just pretty hard. It's a narrow gate, guys. It's tough. And if it were true that a negative outcome or negative feeling equals bad fruit, then suffering that Jesus did to free humanity on the cross, or the suffering Paul did in prison, or the suffering that we do in counseling to work through our past trauma would be bad fruit. Paul wound up in prison because of Jesus' teachings. It seems like a negative outcome, right? Was it bad? Let's look at the fruit. We literally have the New Testament scriptures because Paul was sitting in prison which led to furthering the church, which led to our modern church right now. Yes, our salvation. Negative outcomes and negative feelings don't equate to bad fruit in the context of a God who promises suffering. On the flip side, good feelings do not necessarily equate with good fruit. Good fruit is supposed to nourish you and be pleasing. 
Bad fruit might be neither. Bad fruit might be pleasing, but it's never nourishing. So if it's not these things, then what is it, right? If it's not that the good fruit makes me feel good, then what is it? Let's look at the prophets. The problem is in this text we see that you can't spot the false prophet by what he looks like, or even necessarily by his behavior. On the both, they look really trustworthy on the outside. They look the same. So Pax the other day was, um, he eats these, these fruit cups every morning. It's the same thing every morning. And the last two days, he's like refusing to eat them. I thought he was just being like a jerk and just changing his mind and making my life difficult. Um, so I was like kind of shoving them in his mouth. I was like, eat the oranges. We don't waste food. Um, and then I was like, maybe I should try one. Tried it. It was like completely sour and absolutely disgusting. And I was literally forcing him to eat them. Um, the point is, right, it looked the same on the outside, but it was completely rotten on the inside. Yeah, so Luke 6.45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. When I was a kid, I always, my mom was always telling me, for out of the mouth the heart speaks. So the only way to tell if he's a false prophet is by what he says and the fruit from that. If it's contrary to what Jesus is teaching in words, it should be thrown into the fire and burned. The fruit is the product of your inner life. The good fruit is the product of a life that is obedient to Jesus' teachings. The false truths bear bad fruit in products that are contrary to Jesus' teachings. I had that in a slide, so you can look at that for a second. If you are a tree that has been watered and fed messages of false teachings, then you will not produce these good grapes and figs, as it says. And if you are a tree that's been watered and fed messages of truth about the Trinity, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, then you live that out in obedience of Jesus in his words, then you will bear good fruit. Obeying Jesus always bears good fruit, even if it's painful. But we can't spot the false teaching if we don't know the true one. We can't decipher if what the person is saying is true unless we know the words of Jesus. There's a lot of Christian culture right now that loves to only teach and sits comfortably in what I like to call the kindness teachings of Jesus. Words of love, acceptance, which is all good and really holy stuff. Yeah, we were, we were talking about this and like, where does it come from? And I think figuring out why this is kind of a core thing that's happening in our, in our culture right now, especially in like North American Christianity, this idea that like, um, we're only going to focus on the good stuff. Uh, why that's a, a problem, where it came from. So I was on this theological forum the other day called Facebook, and um, <laughs> my, my friend has been posting like this series of inquiries uh, of like, why can't the church just leave this alone? Like, um, why does the church just keep harping on this thing? Like, she's coming from a more like inclusivity perspective and is annoyed that uh, the church is taking a stand. And I was thinking like, well, Gosh, like the church uh, ethic and the ethics of Western society overlap really, really strongly because our culture was sort of founded on this Judeo-Christian sense of ethics. And there's, there's a lot of points where we're like, yeah, we're on board um, with everyone else. The problem is like our society has kind of evolved a little bit over the last couple of centuries and some things that were previously in are now out and some previous things that were previously uh, out are now in, and so the areas where we don't overlap with the culture um, are hard. It's, it's very easy to go along and be like, yeah, murder, super bad, don't rob from other people, uh, be nice, that's helpful. But then we get to these categories where the church is still kind of saying like, 
okay, um, there's this ethic and it's, it's pretty clear and this is kind of what we're going to teach is important to follow if you're following Jesus and it doesn't line up with the rest of culture. Um, you guys can figure out which ones they are. One big category is where we say God is important and Jesus is the king of the universe and you need to pledge allegiance to him and there's not really another, another route. And the cultural understanding right now is, no, whatever you believe is fine as long as you're being a decent human being to other human beings. And, and the whole point is that, like, it's much easier to go with the flow than to swim upstream. And it, it feels bad to, to tell someone on the surface, it feels bad to say, like, hey, uh, this thing isn't working out. Um, I'm fo- like, if we're following Jesus, there's this category of thing that he's inviting us not to do. Uh, we're not saying it from a place of, like, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've got it figured out. You need to uh, get right or you know, you're a terrible person. It's that we're all kind of in the same boat. We don't have it figured out. We're all jacked up. Um, and God is inviting us to live this, this different life. Um, but instead we get this, no, God loves you, period. Uh, and God accepts you, period. The first part is true. The second part isn't quite true. God loves you enough to call you into a different life. He loves you enough to call you to change the things that are not of him. And so when we cut off that second part, uh, it becomes a false teaching. And, and the reason we do it is because it's just easier. It feels a little bit better. Yeah, but that feeling is just a sense of, a false sense of happiness, right? And it's true that God is the God of love, but he also is the God of judgment. And if we deny one aspect of his character here, it's just a false sense of security. John Stott, an English theologian, says it, or the false sense of security, lulled them to sleep in their sins. It failed to warn them of the impending judgment of God or tell them how to escape it. And I think another way that these false teachings kind of flesh out in our lives is, is uh, you know, it's a, well, I don't really want to tell her, you know, uh, I don't want to hurt her by saying this about it. She, it might make her really sad or... Um, I don't want to act like I'm judging her, so I'll just let her sit and whatever. Um, This is not the product of a good fruit. It's allowing your friend to continue through the broad gate. It's not actually calling her to holiness at all or who she was designed to be. Jesus is warning here that these dangerous, there's dangerous consequences to these false teachings. He's helping us recognize it, and he's telling us how to escape it. We are living the consequences of that now. And Jesus is full of grace, but guys, he does not water down the consequence of our sin. And it's only because he cares, just like Steve said, so deeply for us that he warns us so harshly here. And he's the only one that has the authority to do that in our lives. And he's not letting your friend off the hook because it might make her sad to hear the truth about her obsession with, I don't know, beauty, because he knows that that ultimately leads to death. And his will for her is, is something that's so much more beautiful and it trumps all the temporary sadness that she could ever have. And from here, Jesus digs back in the second dichotomy that we have and he's talking to disciples. Yeah, so you mentioned like he isn't really talking in that first section about who is saved and who is not saved. He's, he's more warning us about what we're listening to um, and what, what it produces, uh, what types of teaching uh, we you know, allow to influence us. But here... He kind of is talking about that. Um, when, when he says on that day, that's generally understood to be the day of judgment. So um, there's only two options in this, in this passage. There's the folks who are entering the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then there's the folks who Jesus is saying, go away. 
um, depart from me, you evildoers or you workers of iniquity. Um, and it's interesting, the opening, like I think, again, we talked about how he's confounding expectations. The opening, in line with everyone's expectations. Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. Uh, we could talk about whether or not everyone's on board with him calling God his Father, but like this idea that, oh, you've got to be doing the right things. Like you've got to be aligning with what God expects of you. Everyone's kind of like, check, check the box, yes. Um, those types of things would include casting out demons, performing miracles, proclaiming the name of Jesus. Common things um, that we do. Yeah, every- I'm doing all those things, check, we're good. But no. The next line is basically him saying, the people who say, Lord, Lord, and come to me and say, I did these things, I cast out demons, I performed the miracles, I preached in your name, those are the ones that are getting kicked out. Those are the ones to whom the gate is closed. Um, And he even goes so far as to call them workers of iniquity or evil doers. So those actions in this context are evil, and it just doesn't doesn't seem to add up on the surface because... um, Jesus is such a weirdo. Um, do you guys know, like, you're, you're on the internet, and, like, you read some article, you read to the bottom, and then below the bottom, there's all the clickbait? You know what I'm talking about? Like, where it's like, um, these five foods will shockingly burn belly fat, or, like, you will not believe what this celebrity looks like now. You know what I'm talking about? Digital marketers are really good at following you around the internet with things that are interesting to you. It's only clickbait if you really want to see what's on the other side of that article. Otherwise, like... You just, you don't, you ignore it. And so the, the internet is sort of like a, a mirror in that way. Like it reflects back to you what you've been doing online. And so. Oh, also PS, ever since I started practicing this, it's like Instagram's like, want to watch Outlander? Want to watch Outlander? It's on stars. It's on Netflix. It's on everything. So there you go. Thanks a lot. <laughs> internet. I felt like I need to say it. This, it's everywhere. This sermon is really just a secret <laughs> advertisement for Outlander. Um, <laughs> We're getting paid, and I have to disclose that because of the SEC. Um, that's not true. Okay. Some people don't. They're like, wait, what? Um, so I got this, this Christian clickbait. Uh, I spent a long time in ministry. So what I'm really saying is I was very Christian online. And so the clickbait that was coming to me was Christian. And it, it said, um, speaker not invited back to youth group after teaching this passage. And I'm like, oh, what passage is it? That's so bad. Um, and, I, and I clicked through, and it was this one. This one. And, Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. And he was like, uh, basically one of those like super fire and brimstone, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Hey, uh, you definitely hell. Um, and I can't see. Like, I don't know who I just pointed at except Daniel um, because the lights are so bright. But none of you, like, I, I don't know. I hope not. I pray not. Okay. Um, anyways, the are guy was just basically disciple? like, Look at this text. What it means is everyone who thinks they're a Christian really isn't. Um, And I I don't think that that's really what Jesus is going for here. I don't think the point is that you should read this and doubt your eternal salvation. Read this and doubt your relationship with Jesus. Um, It's just that in a sermon about obedience, a sermon about the way your life looks on the outside, about living out the ethic of God— Jesus is confounding, again, your expectations and saying the relationship between um, heart and action is precisely opposite of what you think it is. You think your actions will show God what your heart looks like. And what Jesus is saying is that your heart being in the right place is the only way for your actions to have any meaning. He's already said these actions that we would 
obviously, like if I was performing miracles, um, you guys would be like, that's proof positive. Like he's, he's legit, like he's, he's good. And Jesus already said, no, like that's not getting you in. It's, I don't know you. I don't. Your entire eternal fate hinges on that question. Does Jesus know you? Um, he wants you to put yourself in a place where you are known by him. And the only way you can do that is knowing him, right? Like you can know a lot about someone. Think of like a celebrity. Um, you can go real deep down that rabbit hole, but if you pass them on the street, they wouldn't know you. You would absolutely know who they are. Um, it's in relationship that knowing is a two-way street. And, and what he's saying here is that to get the life that looks pleasing to God is not about finding the right list and following it. It's about finding the right person and knowing him. That's it. So orient your life around knowing me you will then be known by me, and all the things that flow from that will be pleasing to God. Uh, we can just trust that that's sort of the order of operations. Transition. Well, we didn't practice this great transition, transition, so I'm just going to say the Steve. word transition. Um, yeah, okay, so the third dichotomy, right? Rock versus sand. Um, scared me with the slamming. I don't know what's happening. Um, okay, in the previous section, right, it seems like Jesus is warning about our lips, um, and now here he's warning about our ears. Um, he seems to be asking the question, will the words that we have just learned in the, in the Sermon of the Mount merely just stop at a verbal profession? Yeah, I believe that. Or just intellectual knowledge? Now, these words are words that we've heard from Jesus for a long time. But remember, he's speaking to a crowd that's just, he's just starting his ministry. They're hearing it for the first time, and he's saying, this is the line in the sand. This is what happens when you do it, and this is what happens when you don't do it. He's laying out the consequence. And the other thing that's really important in this context is he's saying, these words of mine. That's revolutionary, extremely important culturally. Because before the prophets or teachers would say, like, read these words, listen to these words um, from God, or listen to these words from the law or scriptures. And now he's placing himself in that position of authority, in the same position as the law. It's a big deal. You should listen to it. To me, it seems like these two passages are saying, um, you know, we can say nice theologically sound things about Jesus, do some good works, um, and now we can hear all the words of Jesus. So you can memorize it, you can know it, you can stuff your brain fully um, with it, but it doesn't really lead us into being known by God, and it doesn't protect us from the crashing of the house unless we hear the word of God and we put it into practice. We must let these words transform our lives every single day. Is obeying the Lord and his words at every and every cost, and any and every cost, a living reality for us. And that's not to say that we're saved by our actions or works, right? We just learn. Uh, these disciples did all these great things. And it doesn't, it's not saying, like, does it matter what doctrine we have, right? Um, as long as you live a good life, you need to obey my words. The passage is saying, it's precisely the doctrine which you have heard and obeyed that leads to a good life that God praises. Steve just said that. So let's look at the houses. Again, similarly, they look the same on the outside. We can assume that they have the same craftsmanship. Um, and it's only when the hardships or the trials come and it hits the house that we can see the difference in outcomes. Hearing and doing the words of God, of Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, do not spare us from the rains, the floods, and the winds. The same storm hits both houses. And Jesus knows the foundation of which we choose in every moment of every day. 
He knows, he can see the entire construction site. And he loves us too much to let us continue to choose to build our house on sand. And that intervention can feel like storms and trials and waves and drowning. The idea that helped me understand and identify when I begin to build on the sand is the, the, the um, idea of first desires, second desires. And every single message I'll ever preach, I'll talk about this because I think it's the most important thing I've ever learned in my walk with Jesus. And my, my thoughts come from Dr. Larry Crab. If you're a RIP, just died. It's so sad, but also amazing to know that he's literally dancing with the Trinity. So fun. Okay, which is like his imagery, a dance with the Trinity. Um, so it's cool. If you're a Christian, here's the, here's the thought or the truth. Your first desire, your greatest desire should be to know God and to be known by him. Jesus knows how easy it is for us to place our secondary desires into the role of primary desire. Also, so does the devil. And they are wonderful desires. Get physically healthy, get a hold of my addictions, learn to love my friends better, um, gain insight and knowledge and wisdom. The problem is when these secondary things take the first place, they begin to shape our entire identity. And then that second desire ultimately lets us down. And we're, feeling, and we're left feeling really hollow because those secondary things will always fail you and never meet your truest need. And here's an example of a good desire for my marriage um, that wrongly took first place and greatly shaped my identity. I found myself um, with my primary goal um, to love Steve and my greatest desire to be loved by him. Sounds like a great idea for a successful marriage. Um, Narrator, it wasn't. <laughs> But if my greatest desire was to be loved by him, right, then when he doesn't see me, he doesn't understand me, and he doesn't pursue me, then I'm completely wrecked. What happens is, because I've desired this most in my life, I start to need it to be okay with myself. And if I don't have it, then the end result is that I am unlovable, forgettable, replaceable, and that is the sound of the crash, my house, falling down every single time my husband doesn't love me well. So choosing to build my house on the, on the rock means believing first that my core identity is that I'm chosen and cherished by God, who will never stop loving me and who will choose me every single time. And from that foundation, I can offer to Steve how I'm feeling. I'm low, I feel lonely. I feel missed by you. I'm sad. And that's an invitation for him to know the truest parts of me so that he can respond to that. And, and I'm not demanding that you meet my needs, right? So that I can feel better about myself. Larry Crabb always says, pleasing God brings pleasure into our souls. Pleasing others creates pressure. It's what we think we have to do, but it's tiring and it wears us out. Amen? Wears us out. And this scenario plays out with every single good secondary desire that we put into that primary spot. And again, I'm gonna say it a million times, God loves us too much to let it stay there. And he's going to come after you in a loving way and ask you to lay it down at his feet. Whatever it is that gives you the most identity, value, and worth. And it is painful. I speak from experience. I was the, the person that was like the greatest friend, right? I could remember everything about everyone. And people would come to me and they'd want to work out their problems. And I just felt so great about it. And after a while, I became the person that was that person, right? And it became part of my identity. It became a marker of me of how well I was doing, of how important I was. 
And if I heard someone was going to someone else and working out their problem, it like left me with complete shame. I was placing so much of my worth and value on being that great friend. And then I had Sola. And then I had Clement. And then I had Pax. And I literally stopped remembering anything in my life. Like gone, everything. I forgot people's birthdays and forgot to celebrate whatever with them. I even forgot to bring cupcakes to Clement's third birthday in school. And I love cupcakes. The kid just sat there, no parent coming in the cupcake. It was awful. It was so, so bad. And even now it makes me cry. And it wrecks me. It's like death to me. It took having three kids for Jesus to take away all my access, to continue to believe the lie that I had to be perfect, to be valued, loved, and important. Jesus said, Jenna, those characters are really great about you, but that's not who you are. There's no other identity that tops the fact that the creator of the universe decided to lay his life down for mine. That's the greatest thing. And I still struggle with this, of course, but when I find myself grasping for that conversation, right, I can feel it in my soul. Um, oh yeah, this is gonna fill this desire in me to be needed and wanted. I'm, I'm quicker now to recognize that's not gonna do it for me. But I know and I remind myself how deeply loved I am and that gives me value. And then I can offer to my friends the true response and, and, and true conversation because I'm not worried about getting something from them. There is so much freedom in placing Jesus back into the first place every day. Yes, that's it. It's freedom. We think it isn't. We think it's limiting, but it's not. To choose to put your house on that rock formation instead of the flimsy sand. And we'd have to do it over and over and over again. And when he comes after your heart with that determination and that intensity wrapped in love, guys, it often feels like the waves are crashing in. And these are the small storms or maybe even big storms that hit our lives. It's going to reveal the foundation we have. The rock under that house, it does not shield us from it but it supports us during it. So again, obedience to his words and living in that surrender is what supports you when the trials come. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Way to go. Um, so the first priorities, second priorities thing, I think um, we've read a lot of the same books, listened to a lot of the same things, and it's been really influential for me as well. And I think it's important to note, uh, I just even made the mistake of saying priorities when it's desires. Like, yeah, desire, yeah. Yeah. Um, I looked at my notes, and that always trips me up. Usually, I just like to wing it, but Jenna doesn't wing it, so I tried to make notes. Yes. Uh, anyways, this idea of first desires, it's specifically not priorities. The point is, the assumption is, the desire of your heart to know God and be known by him is there. It's a fact of nature, a, a, a brute fact. Like, God made you. He made you to know him and be known by him, and he put that inside of you. So whether or not you're in touch with it, my assertion, the, the assertion of the Christian, is that your core being, the most important desire of yourself, is to know God and be known by him, whether or not you're in touch with it. Um, and whether, it, we can debate that point, but if you'll just like let me assert it, the reason this is so cool and freeing is that it's already there. You don't have to do the work. Like if it's about prioritization, then you have to figure out, well, how do I elevate this thing to a top priority when I have other priorities? Like you, it's not about effort. Um, 
effort tends to point you in the direction of religion. Um, and there's, there's some, you know, great things about religion, but knowing Jesus isn't about working harder, and it never really has been. Um, it's about being known. So the, the goal here is not to um, figure out how to put Jesus first. It's figuring out um, and allowing him to feed and support that desire that already exists in you. Um, there's a lot of belief systems out there that can produce nice people. Um, there, there are plenty of folk that you want to be around. You would, you would love for them to move in as your next door neighbor because you know they're going to let you borrow the lawnmower and they're going to pick up after their dog and they're going to um, just be very fantastic people because they follow this belief system. Um, but that's not the thing that Jesus cares about. He's already said the thing that uh, determines whether or not you're in my presence in the kingdom or being told to go away is whether or not I know you, not whether or not um, you're nice. Um, he, he does say to be a good neighbor, but again, I'm suggesting that comes out of a place of relationship with him, not by finding the good neighbor checklist and following it to the T. We think of all these options as sort of this spiritual buffet. Like, there's so many ologies and isms out there to pick from, um, and it seems maybe even overwhelming. And, and there's a degree of truth to that. There is a bunch of nuance. Even within Christian theology, we can find some hairs to split over how to interpret various things. But Jesus does something for us here by really simplifying it. Um, he, he gives us this range of options uh, that is limited to two things. Every one of these concrete images has uh, a heads and a tail. So there's a tree. It produces either good fruit or bad fruit. There isn't any like, oh, well, um, it tastes okay, and I don't mind it if it's in a pie, but, uh, like, no, it's either good or bad. Um, he, he tells us these disciples have two options. There's one, you can enter the kingdom with him. The other is you're going to be told to leave his presence, um, which is terrifying. There's two foundations. Um, there's sand and there's rock. No, no other options. There's not a, like, sea bubble house or, uh, you know, the moon colony. I guess the moon colony would be on rock, the moon rocks. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, there's what two options. It? And then there's the wide and the narrow gate. The gate is wide because literally every philosophy, theology, belief system, thought pattern, um, motivational system has to fit through that gate unless it's Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord goes through the narrow gate. Everything else goes through the wide gate. And I'm not super worried about people who are here or listening to this, um, like worshiping the golden calf or trying to like cast spells on days that you're not in church. Like I doubt that many of you are messing around with other um, theologies or belief systems, but Included in the stuff that's going through the wide gate, um, nice Godiology, what Jenna already talked about, where God is just like, yep, you're, everyone's fine, don't worry about changing. God loves you just the way you are, everything's fine. He does love you just the way you are, but he is calling you to a different life that looks like obedience to him. Uh, good personism, that is going through the wide gate, uh, just trying really hard to be nice. Um, you will fail at that, one, that's why it doesn't really work, but two, God says it's being known by him. Um, go to church and don't do any major sins Um 
quite a few adherents, I guess. Nervous laughter. Um, also going through the wide gate, like the, the point isn't uh, these things, like Ryan keeps saying, good boys and good girls, checking the boxes is not it. Um, if these are the truest definitions of what you're practicing, you're going to find that your religion is about as successful as the folks who dressed Jesus in a robe and crown and called him king. It was a, at the end of the day, it was a mocking obedience. And it gets them nowhere. We started this series on the Kingdom of Manifesto talking about faith as allegiance, which is fine and good. Uh, we just don't have a paradigm for the type of kingdom Jesus is setting up. In our, in our history of the world, kingdoms have generally coexisted with one another. Um, they're divided by boundaries, and a lot of wars are fought over those boundaries. But when you cross one, you know, I am going from the authority of one king or system of government to the authority of another one. The rules might be the same. They might be slightly different. They might be totally different. But there is no paradigm for this because Jesus says, I'm king of it all. I'm king of the universe. Um, if you've been reading Colossians with Ryan, everything that has been made was made by him, through him, and for him. Every atom, every molecule uh, is under his dominion. So there is no, let me cross the boundary into a different kingdom and maybe we have like a, a peace accord going on. There is, I am submitting to the king or I am in open rebellion against him. That's it. And it shouldn't be scary. That's the thing. Like that clickbait article made this seem scary. It's not. It's an invitation. Jesus is saying, I love you. Um, the, the kingdom is a good place to be. There's abundance here. There's joy. Um, I will be with you when times are hard, and I will not give you anything more than you can handle. Uh, so if you're like, I'm in, that sounds great. Um, I am both embarrassed and excited to admit that I do not have a novel solution. If you're speaking, one of the easiest ways to get like pats on the back afterwards is to say like one of those mind-blowing things where people are like, oh, wow. I never thought of it that way before. Thanks so much. Great job up there. And you're like, oh, thank you. Um, I don't have anything new to say to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, which is a little embarrassing. Like, I love getting pats on the back, but I'm excited because um, it's very simple to do. And I, I would love it if um, these were the things we took away. So we, we talked about, like, the false prophets, how can you know what's false unless you know what's true? Bank tellers don't learn about counterfeit money by studying counterfeit money. They just look at so many legit $100 bills that as soon as they see a fake one, they're like, fake. Um, and God has revealed his character and his nature to us through his word. Again, we can split hairs over whether or not there is inerrancy in the word, whether every single uh, letter is the exact right thing. But uh, I think we can agree on the infallibility of his word, if you're a believer, that uh, the 66 books put together that we call the Bible teach you about God. Um, there's nothing new in saying study the word. Um, I don't mean you necessarily, again, have to figure out the right way to do it, but putting yourself in front of the words of God, we've got the example from Jesus. When he was tempted in the desert by the devil, he came back with scripture because he knew it backwards and forwards, and it was the thing that allowed him to overcome the temptation. So not only is it going to equip you in a way that uh, is helpful, but it also will pull you into the presence of God by teaching you what God is like. He has revealed himself through his word. The other piece is just making space. Um, when we talk about first and second desires, second desires aren't bad things. Jenna said, like, 
having a good relationship, being a good friend, doing well at your work, like, these are all good things. Um, sometimes we think that they are the thing. And I don't, I don't know a ton about this, Jen knows more, but the way drugs work um, is that they replace a chemical in your body um, she knows more. Oh, she's I'm a, in medicine. That's why. Not because. Um, oh, yeah. Not because that needs to be doing clarified. Crank, uh, um, off the floor of a bath. <laughs> you guys. What's happening? Um, <laughs> spiraling. I actually think about this, but I don't want to be nerdy and talk about yeah, it. I know so it's more okay. about the way. Okay, so the way they work, though, is they replicate something that your body already produces: uh, serotonin, dopamine, whatever. And they sit in the receptor cells in your brain and trick your body into thinking that this good natural thing is happening. Um, and then the way addiction works is you're like, oh, I want more of that. And you just keep pressing the lever. Um, in the same way, second desires are good natural things, um, but they fit in the same receptor cells. So sometimes they deliver us a feeling of acceptance. Yeah. Sometimes they deliver us a feeling of purpose. Sometimes they deliver us a feeling of worthiness. Um, and they work in the sense that they uh, fit into that spiritual receptor cell. You need those things. Um, and a second desire can sometimes for years do the job. The problem is it can't do the job forever. God can do the job. A relationship with Jesus can do the job, can fill that idea of am I worthy? Uh, am I loved? Am I accepted? Do I have value? Do I have purpose? He's already answered all those questions in the affirmative and wants to continue answering them that way. When we elevate a second desire to first place um, or allow it to obscure our real desire to know and be known by God, um, it just takes the first desire and buries it. It doesn't take it away. Uh, it just gets there first and then short circuits and we think that we're okay when we're really not. Um, that's building on the sand. Eventually those things will crash. Um, so all this to say, the second piece, like I, I would encourage you to spend time in the word. The second piece is just to make space. Ryan said at the beginning, we don't want to like cut ourselves off from our lives and enter into God's presence as if we're blank slates, but cutting ourselves off from the things that tug us out of God's presence, um, finding, finding some room to get in front of God and listen, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit will communicate with you, but it's soft and it's silent. And if there is no space, if there is no silence, you won't be able to hear it. Um, so again, I'm not saying here's the spiritual discipline you need. Just check that box for 30 minutes a day for the rest of your life and you're set. What I'm saying is if you want to know him and be known by him, you have to spend time with him. Um, you are not going to know Jesus by memorizing the Bible. You will know a lot about him, but it's the union of intentionality and relationship and learning what he is like that counts. Um, and you can start with a couple minutes a day. And if that's where you're at, do it. Um, transition word. Yeah, and this is the last section. I know that we, you know, you ask two long-winded people to preach, and it's going to go over the time, so I'm sorry. Um, hold on to your butts. We're almost done. Um, all right. And I think in the end, right, the only way to, uh, we can do these things, great. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yep, spend time with the Lord. But the only way for me that I've been able to sustain this, you know, do the will of God has been in intentional Christian community. 
you know, Ryan was saying, uh, always saying, the church is the primary place that we work out our salvation. And I was reading Matthew again from the beginning, kind of to prepare for this, and I was watching, you know, Jesus is, he goes into the wilderness, he's having like his nice retreat of silence, and the devil comes, and he's trying to trick him into changing his allegiance, right, from the Father. Um, and then then when all that's over, and he, he does a good job of saying no, um, the angels attend to him. I have absolutely no idea what that means for angels to attend to anyone, but I know that he wasn't alone. And I believe that they're strengthening him in some way. And so then he goes and he hears about John the Baptist got put in prison. So he trickles himself and he goes over to Galilee to fulfill a massive prophecy. And then he calls his disciples. And it's only after he gets his community around him that he starts his ministry. Now he needs community different than we need community, but it's still visible. And the early Acts church literally existed in community. He knows we sharpen each other. Guys, the Spirit is moving every day, all day long, ripping out the weeds and speaking truth and possibly creating tension in our hearts between these desires over knowing Jesus. And he has given us the gift of spiritual eyes to see it in each other, to see where the Trinity is moving in each other and how he's at work in our friends' lives. And we have this incredible opportunity to call each other to Jesus to call each other into right alignment with God's word because we have studied it and we know it. Almost every major, major life event in my life happened through community. So when Steve and I were not doing well um, in marriage, they said, you know what, you both need to go put Jesus first in your life and that's the only way you're gonna survive. And it was really, really painful. But they held held us to it and it's great. That's good. It's great sometimes. It's good. No, I'm just kidding. It's really good. When I was terrified to have a kid, I lived in a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety before having Sola, and it was only my community that said, you're following God's parenting in your kids. He loves your kids more than you'll ever love them. How about you follow his lead in parenting them? It was painful to not have myself be that primary person that is in charge of their lives, of course, but it's good. And when I say intentional Christian community, I'm not talking about the eight to 12 week Bible study or book club that you have, um, although good. I'm not talking about your brunch club after church that you eat at Greek place, Greek corner. I'm not talking about your bro club that you guys get together and I don't know, what do you guys do when you broish? Throw darts. Throw darts. I'm not talking about your wine and painting club with the ladies, although this is fun things. I'm Sounds talking, awesome. it's, it's I don't know, I don't drink wine. I'm talking about a group of friends that choose to do consistent, intentional life with each other with the common goal to see what the Holy Spirit is up to in each other's lives and bravely call each other to first desires because they can see your true battle and desire for you to know Jesus over any other desire being met in your entire life. And if you think you have that type of community in your life, we're gonna ask you to stand up. Just a, it's like a survey of the room. So or you're put not it bragging, in the chat. You're not bragging, but you're also like, you have people that are intentionally meeting to, to grow spiritually, not just to hang out. Um, I can't see if the lights are on. I hope uh, there's a good number of you standing. Yeah, it's That's good like amazing. half of us. That's good. So yeah, this isn't to shame you or to make you feel left out or anything. You can have a seat. It is to say, look at us. We need this. And we're all in the same boat. We all need this. And if you don't have it, we got to find it. 
So how do we keep obeying God and living out the truths taught here in the Sermon of the Mount? Evaluate who you're doing life with. Are the people encouraging you to read your word and fast and pray and um, put these things into practice? They're saying, yeah, we just learned this. Like, how are we going to go bless our neighbor into doing this? We need people to help us to choose which path to take and speak truth to us when we're on the wrong one. So I encourage you to do that, to figure out why you don't want to do it if you don't want to do it. At least start there. Talk to Christina Ruiz. Talk to Ryan. Talk to myself. Talk, well, you can talk to Steve, but, well, a strong suit's not calling you back, so we'll just, you can talk to us instead. Um, see if there's a small group that's already going on that you can join. If there isn't one, find your one to three kingdom or not yet kingdom friends and say, hey, can we just meet on Thursdays? And I guess we're going to ask each other these like hard questions and figure out what the Lord's up to in our lives. I don't really know what Jenna's talking about, but she sounds like it worked for her. So let's try it out. If you already have a community and it's not that intentional, talk about it should be more intentional. And this doesn't happen right away. This is a, this is a discipline that we have to learn. It took me years like, of reading different books and different um, uh, spiritual deformation things and, and ways to ask the right question to see someone's true battle versus just making them feel good or referring them to another book to read. So find some safe friends and practice this or talk to people in the church who can hook you up with other people who want to do it too. Friends, if we don't, we get stuck in our own heads, listening to the same messages, the same voices from different outlets telling us the same things. And that's leading us to self-righteousness. At least that's where it leads me. So what happens, right? We become people who surround ourselves with people who think like us, look like us, have the same Enneagram that relate, number that relates to our Enneagram number. And we avoid the rest. I don't really know a lot about the Enneagram, so I can just we're missing out on these opportunities to know Jesus, to be free in his presence, to be free in our relationships, because we're being filled up by Jesus so that we can pour the real life into each other, not take from our relationships what we make feel, what we feel makes us feel whole, what we think will make us feel whole, sorry. We are all unique parts of the body and we need each other. We all have something to offer the other person that will help us in this right living of the things that we've learned. So find it and do it. Man, what a community we could be, right? What a beautiful, reparative community that we could be. Let's pray. Jesus, you've given us these words. We want to be close to you. We want when we wake up in the morning for you to say, hey again. Want you recognize us so easily by our voice or or the feeling that we have, Lord, because we've taken the time to get to know you. And we also can recognize you in the way that we feel when we watch a show or relate to our friend or text something that we really need a response to feel good in our life, to make us feel better that day. Lord, that we can realize where it is that we've misplaced you. Would you bring the storms enough, Jesus, as hard as it is to say, to wreck us, to realize that that stuff doesn't give us life? We submit ourselves again in this moment under your authority. We ask that you do that for us. Thank you for letting us to continue to worship you.
this has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.